You're listening to Feed, Play, Love, a podcast that's all about supporting parents as they bring up children. We've got experts and advice to help you through the more challenging bits of parenting. I'm Siobhan Hunt. When you first put your child into an early education setting, it can be equal parts nerve-wracking and exciting. It's a new chapter for them, learning how to interact with other children and teachers. But parents and carers also need to consciously create a robust relationship with their child's educators, and that takes time. Time busy working parents may feel they don't have. Anne Stonehouse is a consultant and facilitator of professional learning in early childhood. She joins us for this episode of Feed, Play, Love to explain how important the relationship between parents and carers and their child's early educator is and how we can make it happen. Hi, Anne. How are you? Very well, thank you. Why is it so important that parents develop a good relationship with early educators? The simplest and probably the most important reason is that that's the best way to promote the child's well-being. Educators want to have an impact on a child's life. That's why they do the job they do. And um, I've always said the only way you can do that or the best way to do that is to impact on, um, on in, in a positive way on the parent and the child's relationship and the parent's pleasure in and appreciation of their child. What does, um, if we're talking about that relationship, um, in a practical sense, what does a family educator partnership look like? Um, Well, I think some of the most obvious signs are that families feel very welcome in the the service. Um, In the bad old days, there was literally some handing your child over at the door and we'll be in touch um, if there's a problem. And I think now the, the, the idea of early education and care services is that, sure, the children's well-being is of utmost importance and there may be, you know, tensions and disagreements and all sorts of things, but that it, it needs to be a place where, where families feel welcome. I think another important characteristic is that families understand the limits of what's possible and that um, they may not always get everything they want because their child is one of a group of children. But I think equally important, they should really understand and believe that they can ask for anything and and that they deserve um, a respectful response from educators even even when they can't give them give them what they want. That that sounds a uh, very polite way of saying that sometimes <laughs> parents can be a little bit interfering. Is that would that be right? Um, yeah, some parents can. Yeah, um, I remember a long time ago reading someone very wise said, you know, not all parents are lovely, but not all educators are lovely either. So, um, yeah, I, I think there are lots of reasons that parents may be overly demanding. Sometimes that's their ambivalence about their own parenting skills or their ambivalence about leaving a child. I mean, obviously, oftentimes or sometimes it's just because they don't like something um, that, that, uh, that, that's being done or, or some part of their child's experience. Some parents, I think, become very demanding and critical as a funny kind of expression, a weird kind of expression of their own feelings of vulnerability. I remember 
someone saying to me once that starting your child in, in childcare or preschool or, or whatever is like opening your house to professional cleaners because you you feel as a parent, you feel exposed. Your parenting is exposed. The, the result of your parenting is exposed. And, and so you feel... You feel very vulnerable, and I think some some parents um, are frightened of being judged or, or frightened of um, being seen to to be lacking um, skills or understandings that they should have had should have. So yeah. I wasn't actually being polite. I really meant what I <laughs> really meant what I said. But um, yeah, it, it, it's important to understand that it's it's not easy. I think it's the hardest thing about being a professional educator is um, establishing robust, mutually respectful, um, trusting relationships with families. How would you advise parents deal with those things that might concern them? So a parent may not know when they're interfering or when it's a valid um, concern they have. Let's, Let's say a very fraught area for everyone is discipline. Let's say a parent doesn't agree with the way their child has been disciplined. What's the best way to come to a mutual understanding or agreement or partnership with an early educator in that situation? I I mean, I, I I think it's maybe no different to what we might say about differences or tensions in any aspect of your life, except the stakes are higher because it's your child that you're concerned about, that um, that you communicate respectfully, that you communicate um, in a way that says, this is what I think, this is how I see it, this is what I believe, I'm open to hearing your perspectives, and hopefully we can come to some either some compromise, some mutual understanding, or you know, some some solution that that we're both happy with. I guess, I guess what I'm thinking in in answering that question is that I think a, a, a good quality early education setting, um, yeah, does invite families to ask about anything, to question anything, to suggest anything. But as I said before, with the understanding that. That doesn't mean oh sure we'll do we'll do anything you want us to do, but that it's okay to ask and that that you'll get a respectful reply about why we don't respond to children's um, challenging behaviour that way or why we do what we do. That I feel like professional educators owe that to families, but families families need to understand that um, that that they need to ask or request or question in a respectful sort of way. That communication sounds seems to me to be key because I know um, just being on different social media platforms for parents, I have seen plenty of posts complaining about childcare workers, but in a way they are asking their community whether it's yeah. fair enough instead of saying to the educator, I don't feel like this was appropriate. Can you explain yep. why you did this? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I mean, in a way, fair enough, because if you if you're a parent and it's your first experience of a, an early education setting, you you know you don't you don't know what the norms are. You don't you don't know um, what what to expect. And and I mean, I, I think maybe I'm sounding uh, what shall I say too much of a parent advocate, and as though I'm condemning educators. But I think. One of the things that parents need to know and that educators need to accept is that parents are always going to 
be most interested in how this is for me and how or how this is for my child, then they're not going to be as interested in how it is for other children. I mean, a colleague of mine once, I remember hearing him say, you know, it's like you, you take your car in and they says we'll have it back at the end of the day. You go back at the end of the day and um, the mechanic says, oh, gee, sorry, there are other people that came in and they really needed their car more than you do, so your car is not ready. I mean, that's unreasonable to expect that... that um, that, that educators are always going to be able to put your child first. But I think it's, in a sense, it's not unreasonable for parents to approach educators with their own, with their own interests, um, at heart. I mean, that, 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 that they care more about the experience for their child than they do about other people's children. And to some extent, I think that has to be, this has to be accepted. You've talked a lot about how a good quality early learning centre should be open and families feel comfortable there. But uh-huh. some parents, um, their first experience and only experience of early learning is thinking of it more as a childcare facility while they go to work. And therefore yeah. they, and not therefore, but they just are in such a rush. They're dropping the kids yeah. off, they're leaving, yeah. they're picking them up and, and it's all yeah. a lot of pressure. Um how can you get around that? Because obviously you're talking about a partnership. Partnerships require conversation and time. Yeah. yeah. How can really parent, busy parents get around that um, hurdle of finding time to connect with an educator? Well, I, I think to some extent the answer is they can't. Uh, I mean, parents are very busy. And, and you know, that that partnership is um, is formed in the very busiest time of day for educators as well as for parents, because it's when, when children are arriving or when children are going home, educators are really busy too. But I think I think there has to be a, a non-negotiable understanding that there has to be some face-to-face informal conversation. Not every single day, um, not not you know at arrival and pick-up time. But that there has to be a certain amount of communication. I mean, I think, um, you know, social media and, and sending documentation home and making documentation available for families, um, the, the sending photos, that sort of thing can be a good, a good supplement to those face, face-to-face conversations that sometimes are very, very brief. But just, just as is true in, um, our personal lives, you know, nothing beats a face-to-face conversation. And if you can't have that, you do a phone call or a text message or Twitter or Facebook or something. But I think I think there has to be a certain amount of communication for that relationship to build, but with the understanding that some days it's going to be a quick drop-off and an equally quick pick-up and there's, there's just not time to stand around and have long conversations every day. One of the things I've um, found when I talk to the people, that, the educators that look after my son, is they've always um, got a keen eye out for his interests and exploring those interests with him and furthering them with him. Yeah. What are some ways families can encourage a continuation of that learning from the childcare centre into their home? The reason I'm pausing is my first thought in response to that question is 
the last thing busy parents need is, um, you know, lots of ideas of additional activities <laughs> they, they can do. So I'm not suggesting that, not handing out worksheets. Your, your child's interested in trucks. Here's 25 activities you can do about trucks. But I, I think, um, I think just as good curriculum in early education centers, um, places a lot of emphasis on um, taking advantage of naturally occurring experiences that, that that information that educators can give to families or, you know, she's really interested in chalks or he's really interested in drawing or whatever, um, that, that there can be a few suggestions about how to how to build that interest or, or take advantage of that interest in um, in everyday experiences, not you know set aside twenty minutes and and do do special things, but um, just I mean I think that that's one of the great gifts that educators can give families and that families can give educators is pointing out interests, pointing out strengths, pointing out new fears or challenges that the child is facing and and that that's why the partnership is so important because you you put two two sort of overlapping pictures of the child together and you get you get a much clearer and richer picture of the child so i think i mean i think that that sharing any kind of positive insight about the child is so important for educators to do whether it's a new interest or um the child showing more self-control, you know, sitting through lunch without getting up from the table once or any... I've always said to educators that any positive news, any good news you can honestly share with parents at the end of the day, share it. Be much more discerning about not-so-good news <laughs> and, and, you know, and choose your times and, and be selective because you, there's no there's no value burdening parents with every little... Um, I don't know, unpleasant or challenging thing the child did, but I think I think it is worthwhile um, anything anything positive that you can say to, even if it's something very very small. Parents appreciate that. All that you've been talking about and relates to quality early learning, which you've been mm. integral in helping establish throughout Australia through the early learning framework and the work you've done with that. If people have more questions about, um, I don't know, like what a quality early learning centre looks like or how you can tell you've got a great educator, um, those kinds of things, is there any one place they can go to look that sort of thing up? I think ASEQA, uh, the the, um, national organisation that's responsible for um, kind of implementing the quality assurance system, has resources. I I would be certain, I know in Victoria, the department that's responsible for early childhood um, has parent resources online and probably printed resources. So I would imagine that's true in every every state and territory. The gallery centres in each state would probably have resources as, as well. I mean, I'm sure there's a you know a tremendous amount of information online, Um some of, some of which would be great, and some of which would, would not be not so great. But, we might we might stick with the um, ones yeah. that you've mentioned, <laughs> and we'll pop yeah. them in the notes for this episode. But um, yeah. and it's a pleasure to speak with you. Thanks so much for your time today. You're very welcome. Thank you. 
That was Anne Stonehouse and those resources she just mentioned from Asequa, etc. We will put in the description notes of this episode. Or you can head to our website, that's babyology.com.au forward slash feed play love and search Anne Stonehouse. That's A N E S T O N E H O U S E. Home birthing has had a pretty bad rap in some circles, but Professor Hannah Darlin says there are good reasons why women want to birth at home. Women choose home birth for a couple of reasons. One is, and probably now sadly becoming the most common reason, they've had a traumatic first birth. They felt not listened to, not respected, they had intervention they didn't want or need. And so they're choosing another option to not repeat the trauma. In the next episode of Feed, Play, Love, Hannah explains how you can have a safe birth at home. This podcast is produced by Lise Cooper and hosted by me, Siobhan Hunt.